The Crux of the Matter, Episode 55, Scott and Todd Go Back to School. Hello and welcome to The Crux of the Matter, the show by pastors, for pastors. My name is Pastor Todd Peppercorn. And this is Professor Scott Stigmeyer. Hey, Scott, how are you doing? It's a joyous day. A joyous day. Yeah, All right. every day is a joyous day. Every day is a joyous day. No sorrow mm-hmm. in the Stigmeyer <laughs> Well, we have our sorrows, too. All right, fair enough. I uh, I just got back from uh, visiting someone at a at a VA hospital. I don't know if you've ever spent any time at a VA hospital, but uh, they're sort of an interesting. Uh, you know, they're not like normal hospitals, but they are like normal hospitals. It just seems like there's a a whole other layer of paperwork that's involved mm. with VA hospitals. So uh, we've got a big one, uh, maybe forty minutes from us, something like that. So uh, so we're doing that. What have you been? Uh, what have you been teaching lately, Scott? <clears throat> well, my uh, church history class is talking about revivalism in America. We, you know, this, yeah, right. It's exciting. Um, the Second Great Awakening and all that kind of stuff, and, mm-hmm. and some of the and some of the key players there, including Charles G. Finney, Charles and Finney, the his, man. His, yeah, and his new measures. You know, the emphasis on emotion and, and uh, you know trying to get people to make a decision for Christ and emphasis on the power of the will and and being able to create an environment you know that 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 revival quote unquote is not a miracle it's something that can be done through human technique and and if you just simply do the right things then you can get the outcomes that you wish and uh so you know all that kind of stuff decision theology and sure. uh, yeah so we're talking about that and it's very interesting for today's context i think as well yeah it would be I think it'd be hard to overestimate the influence that Charles Finney has had on certainly on American evangelicalism, but I think you could even say American Christianity. It's just yeah. pervasive. Billy Sunday, Billy Graham. I mean, that every TV preacher. I mean, that's huge. Jerry Falwell, Jerry Falwell, yeah. Pat Robertson. Right. You bet. Mm-hmm. It's uh, that's that's a big one. That's for sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, mine is slightly more esoteric than that. Um, yeah, tell us. And that is, I'm continuing my uh, study of Genesis. And we did, uh, last week we did Genesis 23. Genesis 23 is the burial of Sarah. So we just finished the sacrifice of Isaac. So this is the burial of Sarah. It's kind of a, it's an interesting thing because this, this is the one where Abraham goes to the Hittites who are kind of neighbors to him and he has... Uh, and he buys a uh, cave, the cave of Machpelah. Almost sounds Klingon, doesn't it? <laughs> Machpelah. Um, he buys this cave from uh, uh, Ephron, who's a Hittite. And, and they have this sort of negotiation of, it's going to be free. No, it's not going to be free. Well, if it's going to, it's not going to, it'll be free. But if it wasn't free, it'd be 400, 400 pieces of silver. It kind of goes back and forth. What What interested me on it is how much care is put into Sarah having a Sarah having a piece of the land that this is that this is an inheritance that this is a part of the promise given to Abraham and that uh, this land is hers slash theirs this is the family plot that it's not a it's not lent to them it's not even given to them 
but it's purchased by them, by Abraham for the family, so that there can be no question that it is their property. It's just a really an interesting chapter and kind of we went we went down the rabbit hole of cremation versus burial and all sorts of things like that but it's very interesting i um yeah yeah you never can tell where you're going to find such interesting conversations that's for sure Hmm. so we have uh uh we've been doing first timothy for a while and had a lot of fun with that, I think. But I think we're going to take a break from uh, from doing the pastoral epistles. I expect we'll come back to Second Timothy after a bit. Uh, in the meantime, we're going to do some topics. And one of the things that has kind of been, at least in my in my impression, has been on both of our minds quite a lot is the is the subject of of formal education, continuing formal education. How does that work if you're a if you're a parish pastor or in your case a professor? Um, but you certainly did this when you were in the parish. How does mm-hmm. it kind of how do you justify this effort? Does it have to be directly connected to pastoral ministry, pastoral care? Why or why not? How do how do you talk to congregations about it? And what do you what do you do with all of that? So that's kind of what we're going to talk about here. Here today, I think it'll be interesting to all of our uh, pastor type listeners, at least along the way. So, have you um, pursued advanced degrees once you were in the parish, Scott? Yeah, I did. Last um, the last couple of years, I worked on an MA on bioethics or medical ethics while I was a parish pastor in Elmhurst, Illinois. And you know, I'd been a pastor for something like fifteen years, and I. I, I simply wanted to exercise my mental muscles again. And, right. um, you know, I, I was looking, I was in the Chicago area, so there's tons of options in terms of ways to get education. And so I just started looking around and uh, discovered that Trinity University up in Deerfield, Illinois, which was maybe a half hour away from me, had this, inter- you know, a, a, an MA that you could do, um, you know, one class at a time. Uh, most of the students are doing it, um, you know, as, while they're professionals, they're doctors and nurses and medical So it was meant the as part. a part-time program? Is that right? Yeah, 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 okay. exactly. Or yeah, usually it, it, or, meant that way. Yeah, or certainly, you know, it lent itself well to that because okay. most of the students are, are working students, people who are working. And uh, so the courses would be like intensives for two weekends out of a semester, but then the rest of the time you're doing your work on your own and – and uh, it was it was a it was a very good experience. I, I felt like it had lots of pastoral application, and uh, you know not just that, but it energized me, um, gave me some new things to think about and some new ways to look at the scriptures and to look at pastoral care. So uh, you know, I think there were I think there were benefits all around. Yeah, I I've often thought that the especially if you're going the traditional route of. Uh, like you and I did of kind of being a system guy where mm-hmm. I went from high school to college straight to seminary and then uh and then with a couple year hiatus there while while doing admission stuff and then went out out into the parish so kind of went from being immersed in an educational environment for at that point I don't know Nineteen years, <laughs> a long time. That's yeah. for sure. To not at all an educational environment. I mean, that is a huge 
cultural shift that's just and it's just a weird it's a weird transition and and not bad mind you mm-hmm. i think it's mm-hmm. i think it was good but um but that's a that's a weird that's a weird move and and i definitely have kind of felt the felt the desire to get back in a classroom as a student not just as a not just as a teacher well, why don't you do you want to explain what your what your plan is? Sure, I will. Um, so so I've been I've been thinking about this for a long time. I haven't taken any um, I haven't taken any formal classes for I want to say 17 years. It's been a long time, um, you know, continuing education classes and pastors conferences and this and this sort of thing. And I'm a reader. So so I don't I don't feel like um, my mind is turned to jello. Although that would be a very Lutheran thing to happen, I suppose. <laughs> um, but I have not kind of sat down and and done formal coursework. So, so I started of, of, I don't know. I've looked at this off and on for years, but I really started in earnest. I want to say four or five months ago, maybe, uh, looking into some kind of a degree program that I could do while I'm still a parish pastor, because. I have no interest in resigning my call and going full time into a PhD program or something like that. That does not interest me at all. And even if it did interest me, I couldn't afford it. So, okay. so that's, that's just off the table. So it has to be part time and, and it's got to work kind of with the ebb and flow of congregational life, which is not, it's not the same. Most, at least in my research, most um, most degree programs that are designed for for part time, like MBA type programs and things like that, that are designed for working professionals, usually when do they meet? They meet in the evenings or on the weekends, which are actually the exact time when I am probably the busiest, um, yeah. both with my congregation and with and with my family. So so that just that was tough. So it's almost has to be a. Um, a program that is designed for pastors. So I started looking and it seemed like the best fit for that was probably going to be a, a doctor of ministry. It's called a D-min. And a D-min is sort of a, uh, it's a professional degree. Uh, I'm not even sure what kind of parallel to put, maybe doctor of optometry, something something like that. Um, it's a professional degree that goes beyond an MDiv. Um, it's designed uh, to be slightly less academic, so it's not a research degree like a PhD, um, and to be more uh, more hands-on in terms of, of actual parish practice. So that's sort of the direction that I decided to go with that. And then the question is, well, what specialization and then where? That's, mm-hmm. And that's kind of, a, it's kind of a long process. Where I ended up is uh is go- is applying to and and being accepted at uh, the Aquinas Institute of Theology which is in St. Louis, Missouri. It's kind of a mouthful okay. frankly. That's that's yeah. where I ended up, but I I think that the the process of going through that through that is sort of an interesting an interesting one along the way. Now you're starting another degree too if I recall. What do you Yeah, doing? that's yeah, I'm I'm continuing with my bioethics studies, and I'm going to be doing um, uh, a, a a degree 
out of Loyola University in Chicago, a doctor of bioethics. And, okay. it, you know, like you, like you, I'm in a situation now that I'm, I'm a teacher where I've got a job. I've got a full-time job and right. it has, you know, certain obligations on my time. And I need, but at the same time, um, I need to do this, this doctorate and I need to do it in a way that is going to, you know, benefit my teaching. Right. Um, I have the, you know, the institution is, 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 is gave me a lot of leeway, a lot of latitude as far as, you know, where I would go or what I would do. But if I can't do something that's going to, like you said, that's going to call me away from my day to day job. Right. So I found that I found, you know, very, um, you know, fortuitously or, or, you know, in, out of God's providence, I found that Loyola does this doctor of bioethics and it's mostly online. Hmm. And, and that's just perfect, perfect for me for, and I checked with my superiors and, and all that. And everybody says, gave me a green light. And so I'm going to be able to continue with my bioethics studies and, uh, I'm going to start that this summer. Uh, my first class is one class at a time, you know, yep. one class per semester for however long it takes me. And it may take me four or five years or, you know, three to five years is what I estimate. Okay. Well, that's not bad. Yeah. I, I mean, no. really, no. if you were doing a PhD at Notre Dame or someplace, it would take you four or five years full time. So, oh yeah. While this oh, isn't yeah. the the same kind of the same kind of degree, it is it is still a uh, uh, an intense study, and uh, I'm going to guess much more independent. It sounds similar to what I'm going to be doing in some respects. That's mm -hmm. very. I, I think I think so. I mean, it, it's kind of like doing a D-man. I think in, in terms of the the way that it's the way that the program, the courses are administered. Right. You know, I'm, you, you probably are going to do some hybrid courses or maybe some online elements and then you sure. fly in, you know, for a couple of days here or there for, for the, you know, face to face time. Sure. Sure. That will be, at least that portion of it will be, uh, will be similar. That's uh that's interesting. Yeah. 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 Yep. Fun, fun. Well, I've, um, the reason that I ended up going to Aquinas is uh, is sort of a sort of an interesting one. I I think that at least for most Missouri Synod Lutheran pastors, the natural place to go would be to go to one of our seminaries, either Concordia Seminary in St. Louis or Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, both of which offer DMIN programs, both of which are actually mm -hmm. very reasonably priced. Um, under $20,000 for the whole program start to finish, which I think is a pretty, pretty remarkable, frankly. And then, um, so those will be the natural places, but I have three degrees from institutions named Concordia. And I think there should be a limit, you know, it's sure. like, it's like fishing. I don't think you can, I don't think you should have more than three degrees from a Concordia. That just doesn't seem right to me. Um, all of my post high school education has been in and through the Missouri Synod very explicitly. And I am very, very thankful for that. I would not want to change anything, uh, anything that I did in terms of my education. But in all honesty, Scott, I just wasn't all that interested in going to one of one of our own seminaries because I and maybe this is arrogance on my part I'm not sure I felt like I had a pretty good I have a pretty good handle on how they would approach uh questions of pastoral care and preaching and and this sort of thing and so 
I think for me, I'm going to benefit more from going outside of outside of our tradition and kind of getting getting a very different perspective along the way. I think there's I think there's pros and cons to to either option. And I'm like you. I mean, I when I went it wanted to start my MA on bioethics, you know, I mean, when, when I was just beginning to tinker around and look on, on the internet. Yeah. I thought about doing a D men at one of our seminaries and, and not to doubt, you know, not to downgrade those things that, you know, I know lots of great guys who are getting D men's from our, our schools and you and I both have taught D men courses. Yep. And, um, so, so not, not to, not to denigrate that, but it just, it just didn't feel for, like the place for me. What I wanted to do was something where I would be stretched and challenged in completely new ways with some new ideas and new people. Right. And like you, like you were saying, I think there's pros and cons to doing that, but, uh, overall, um, you know, I, I generally think that it's beneficial to get a little exposure to either, um, a, you know, a Roman Catholic school or an evangelical school or, you know, another, another type of institution just to get into the dialogue a little bit more. Right. I think that's helpful. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the reality is, is that, uh, Lutherans are very much a minority in yeah. nearly every, uh, every nook and cranny in the United States. I mean, obviously you're going to find a few, a few counties in Minnesota and North Dakota and, you know, kind of upper Midwest places that are going to have more than their fair share of Lutherans. But by and large, and even in those places, those numbers are, are, are dwindling. By and large, we are surrounded by people of a different confession than us. Now, how different may vary and in what ways it's different certainly is going to vary. But um, but that's kind of the that's the culture in with which we live, and somehow I I think that we as pastors have to uh, have to learn how to have that conversation. And frankly, most of the material that I read on a day to day basis is from non Lutheran sources. I hope uh, I hope the uh, Lutheran police don't come after me with that. But um, but yeah, I mean, and I read plenty of Lutheran stuff too. Don't get me wrong, but. Uh, but you know, but patristic material, Reformation stuff, mm-hmm. all all kinds of things. Certainly, all of all of the stuff that I study on uh, on mental illness and depression, none of that's Lutheran, right? So I'm pretty comfortable recognizing that you know we can we can uphold our confession in different places, and that that's going to be a healthy thing, not a bad thing along the way. Absolutely. I mean, you know, the bio, whole bioethics thing is we have allies on a lot of these bio, bioethical issues in other confessions. Right. You know, with the Roman Catholics, the evangelicals, um, you know, even even certain other circles, you know, that we have these allies on some of some of the bio, bioethical questions that interest me. And so, it, you know, it, I'm going to be bumping up against Roman Catholic books and books written by, you know, Southern Baptists. And if I'm just going to only read Lutheran ethics or Lutheran books, um, it's going to be it, it would it could be good, but it would also be very limited. Yeah, and it's not going to take long. To, it, it's not going to take long, and we have to we have to be I think a voice at the table. We have to be at, in in conversation with people that you know think about you know don't think exactly the way we on everything so that we right. can get something done. Right, right. So I'm very excited about it. Um, 
as I'm yeah, sure you sorry. are too. Uh, it will, mm-hmm. for me, it's basically a week of semester that I'll be spending in St. Louis, something like that. So I'll spend five days in St. Louis in October and then five again in February for this next academic year. And you take one class at a time. Um, and the the demon in Aquinas is, is interesting in that it is specifically a demon in homiletics. It is a ah, demon in preaching. So uh, yeah. many doctor ministry programs, as I understand them at least, are more uh, generalist than that. And and you may have an emphasis in in catechesis or in counseling or or something else, um, but evangelism, etc. But um, but this program is quite explicitly centered around preaching. So all of the classes are on are on homiletics. So there's there's classes on the liturgy and preaching and the history of preaching and hermeneutical method and, and all of these things. So so that's kind of where my uh, bread and butter is going to lie for a while at least. And uh, I'm sure I'll get to uh, read about the, uh, the the interesting preaching of Carl Rahner and all sorts of fun people. So <laughs> but probably not Charles Finney. I don't know. It, it that will be an interesting. I know that there is a the one at least one of the classes is on the history of preaching. So, so so you might read Spurgeon or someone. Yeah, like that. but maybe Moody. maybe Finney. It's hard to say. He's a pretty yeah. pretty defining character character when it comes to that stuff. I don't know. So I've read Finney yeah. sermons before, though. So uh, I don't feel like I've missed that over much. Anything else you think is worth uh, is worth putting forward to our listeners on that topic before we go on? I I am a big believer in pastors being formal, further formal education. You know, you've been in the ministry for ten years, ten or twelve years, or so. Uh, get yourself a PhD, get yourself an MA in something, or DMIN, or some other formal degree. And I, I keep wanting, I keep toying with the idea of writing an article for something um, about why pastors should study other disciplines like English right. or science or math or history. Um, and, you know, the, the importance of having theologians who can talk about a wide variety of subjects. And uh, anyway, so I, that, that's my final word. Encourage the pastors that are out there. If you think you've got a little bit of uh, juice left and, and you want to do something interesting, uh, do pursue it, give it a shot. Well, and it, uh, from, from another angle, and we've sort of talked about hobbies before. We probably ought to come back to that. Cause I think we need, I think there's more to that. One of the great challenges I think of pastoral ministry, pastoral care is, uh, is becoming so utterly immersed in the, in the challenges of the day to day work that you sort of never get outside of your bubble. You never get outside mm-hmm. of, of, of your own life and to recognize that there are other things or other places and people and such. Um, and that may be in hobbies, but that may also be, I mean, I almost think of this as sort of cross training for, mm. uh, for pastoral care that if I'm able to, uh, to, to step back from my day to day routine and say, okay, now, now let me look at this and see why do I why do I in this case prepare sermons the way that I do, and why do I write out a manuscript most Sundays, you know, twenty years later instead of doing an outline most Sundays, you know, why sure. and what's the right. what are the goods and bads to that, etc. Um, that is only going to serve to improve the improve the uh, 
the the art of pastoral care, at least in my mind. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, so we'll uh, we'll keep talking about it. I'm sure that this will come up often once we actually start classes. But uh, if you have any thoughts on this, good, bad, or ugly, please uh, send us an email to feedback at the crux of the matter dot net. You can find the show notes for this episode, including links to all of these various topics, at the crux of the matter dot net slash podcast slash fifty five, and uh, you can find all sorts of uh, fun things along along those lines. So, Mr. Joyful, what's uh, bringing you joy this week, pray tell? Well, um, it's been, uh, the last couple of weeks have been pretty heavy with the workload. But one thing that I have been reading for fun and enjoying is a brand new book by Mary Healy. And uh, Todd, you'll know this this book, uh, this other book by Mary Healy called Men and Women Are From Eden. Sure. Study guide right, to John right. Paul II's theology of the body. Yep. Right. So this is the same author, Mary Healy, who wrote that a popularization of John Paul II's theology of the body. Men or women are from Eden. She's actually primarily a New Testament scholar. She she writes New Testament commentaries and she teaches New Testament for some seminary, Catholic seminary. And anyway, her new book, her brand new book, is called Healing, which I think is funny because her name is Healy. Uh-huh. Um, Healing, bringing the gift of God's mercy to the world. And being in, in, in bioethics world, I'm always talking to healthcare professionals or students who are preparing for healthcare professions. And so a book about the healing ministry of the church is what fascinates me. And that's what she's written. I haven't finished it yet, but she basic, her basic thesis is that the healing ministry of Jesus um, should be continuous. There's no, no theological reason that she can come up with why that shouldn't be a normal part of the church, hmm. church's life. Interesting. And I'm, it is interesting. And she, she does sort of a, a church history of this. And, um, you know, she talks about Augustine and miraculous healings occurring in, in you know, post apostolic periods. Right. Um, and then, and of course, looks at the biblical teachings, uh, you know, and, and what what Jesus promises the, uh, you know, will be what the apostles will do, and so on. It's fascinating. I haven't read the conclusion. I haven't read the last few chapters, but she, but she clearly believes that the healing ministry of Jesus, in whatever exact form that takes, I'm not sure she right. what she thinks, but but that it, it, you know, it's it. There's no indication that this was going to stop when the apostles died, hmm. and I'm. Without becoming a charismatic, I don't know how – and since she's writing from a Roman Catholic perspective, I'm sure she's going to bring in the sacrament of, of anointing. Right, and, you right. Know, as well as the thing. Eucharist, I would presume. As well as the Eucharist, I would assume. Right. And um, and I'm anxious to I'm anxious to finish it. I haven't – I'm about halfway through. Well, I look so forward to uh, hearing more about that. I expect you just cost yeah. me money again. Great. It's, it's a neat little paperback, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. That's good stuff. That's the sort of thing that my uh, my deaconess and I talk about on a pretty regular basis, too. So that's fun. Uh, my joy bringer is nothing at all like that. OK. Um, and and the the name of my of my joy bringer is airmail. Now, not airmail like sending it to the post office. This is an app. It's an it's an app for uh, for iOS, for your iPhone, iPad, and and there's also a version of it for the Mac. And it's an email, it's an email client. And and of course all of these apps come with Apple's mail program. 
Um, but I have uh, I have felt for a very long time that Apple's mail program just doesn't do what I want it to do the way that I want to do it. And uh, and this this is an incredibly powerful powerful program uh, that allows you to do all sorts of fun things. First of all, you can it, it's very very fast. Um, you can use the uh, swipe gestures on your computer or on your iOS device for archiving items or replying or for starring items, pinning you know pinning things so that they're easy to get back to that sort of thing. Um, but the the feature that interests me the most, I think, is a is a feature called snooze. Now, it's not just because I like snoozing, which is also true, but it's because uh, for me, what I want to do is I want to try as much as I possibly can to compartmentalize where I do church things and where I do home things and where I where I kind of do these different things because the downside to me of having access to everything at all times is that you're never off is that mm-hmm. you never you never stop I don't, well, I can just pull up my phone and look at my email and it doesn't matter if it's 1130 at night. If I get an email from a parishioner, then I can just, you know, I this will just take a minute. I can just reply to it or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but the snoozing feature will allow you to say, all right, take this one. Don't show it to me again until nine o'clock tomorrow morning or next Tuesday or you know, when when I even you can do a kind of location aware. So show me this one when I arrive at church, which is pretty cool. You got to admit. So it so it allows you to kind of have some control over how these things work. And so that email doesn't become this this gargantuan monster that's always staring you at the face in the face. Uh, I've got some more ideas on on these things, but uh, but I am really, really digging this uh, digging this app. I think it has a lot of great things going for it, and it'll work with just about any kind of email um, email service. Google, it'll work with you know Apple's almost anything at this point. So it's a great app. I think it costs ten bucks on the uh, Mac App Store, and it's like five or six dollars on the iOS App Store, and it's got a lot of great a lot of great features. So airmail. It I is. may have to check it out. Yeah, I think it. You, I, I think you would like it, and it's really nice having essentially the same interface on all of your different, you know, platforms, and uh, and and just kind of having them all work together. And it's it it's got a lot of neat things to it. I like it a lot. For the last couple of years, I've been using Thunderbird as my yep. email. Well, and client. Thunder and, and Thunderbird's kind of one of the. Uh, I mean that's a classic. That's a that's an old email mm-hmm. client, um, but it has a lot of things that have that are really good about it, and and it too is very fast, which is which is nice, or at least it has been. I haven't used Thunderbird for for years, so I don't have a whole lot of opinion on that. But um, but AirMail might be a way for you to kind of get a more a more modern email client that um that's going to use some of these things like the swipe gestures on your mac and and such um that would allow you to uh to maybe move through things a little faster and i'm all about being efficient with that kind of thing yeah yeah i may have to check it out yeah check it out if you can okay anything else for our dear listeners scott 
Uh, no, thanks for listening as always. And, uh, send us some, send us your questions and your advice. Yep, absolutely. Um, that would be great. And on that fine note, we will see you next time. Goodbye. <laughs>